Get up, get down with the sickness. Get up, get down with the... <coughs> yeah, there you go, kids. Your Uncle Dave, as we will now call him going forward, Typhoid Dave, gave me and his wife some kind of illness, some kind of ick, because we were cooped up in a car together last weekend to go see Foreigner and Loverboy. So I will soldier through doing the best I can to give you your weekend hangover cure. Yes, it is time for Sports Frenzy 2.0, the weekend edition. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane, taping a little bit later than normal. Thursday, July the 27th, but this will hit as always. Saturday morning, July the 29th. So yes, we are all suffering in the sports frenzy camp. So you're stuck with me this week solo. But I have got plenty. Rock, pop culture, movies, TV and streaming news to discuss with everybody out there. So let's start off with the aforementioned concert review. Uncle Dave will play catch up next week. We'll also have a review of Party Gras, Brett Michaels of Poison, Night Ranger, Jefferson Starship. Hopefully we will be healed up in the next couple days, so we will be at full strength for Party Gras outside of Indianapolis. But at the same venue... This past Friday night, July the 21st, 2023, we checked out Loverboy and Foreigner. Foreigner, of course, on their historic farewell tour. The the show was longer than I thought it was going to be. I was a little cynical going in because we're dealing with older bands I thought we might get 45 minutes out of Loverboy and maybe an hour and a half tops out of Foreigner. And both sets exceeded that time limit, exceeded expectations to a point. So Loverboy, we got an hour of Loverboy. Ten songs. Now, with 10 songs, you're not going to get every song you want. But I will say Loverboy covered the bases you would expect them to cover. Set list at the Ruoff Music Center in Noblesville, Indiana. Notorious. A song I could really do without, but that's fine. Lucky Ones. Awesome. Queen of the Broken Hearts. Very good. Take Me to the Top, I thought was the best song out there that night. And then, of course, you lead right into The Kid is Hot Tonight. Can't do wrong with that. Then it was time for a bathroom break because they decided to do their Top Gun ballad, Heaven in Your Eyes. Then we got Love in Every Minute of It. Hot Girls in Love, Turn Me Loose, another highlight of the set. And then, of course, closing with 
more cowbell. As Mike Reno said to drummer Matt Fernette, we need more cowbell and we get working for the weekend to close out a very solid hour-long set from Loverboy. Now, it's the second time I've seen them. I never got to, to check them out when I was younger. So both times I've seen them have been here later on in their careers. They're good. Okay, nobody's going to say they are a top-level band right now. Mike Reno is still, I'm sorry, grossly out of shape. It's amazing to me he's hanging on in his late 60s. He needs to drop some weight and drop some weight now. But somehow he still sounds good. And as old as the band is, because I know Paul Dean's older than Mike Reno. They still put together a very solid show. No disappointment with Loverboy. And then, of course, we move on to Foreigner. And the start of the Foreigner show was interesting, to say the least. Now, when I say that, I mean, if you're paying attention to details, if you're just there to guzzle $17 tall boy beers, you probably didn't pick up on a couple interesting things at the beginning of the show. Now, number one, the fact that the keyboard player botched the opening song, Double Vision. He jumped in too early, playing the chorus when he should not have been. So even though Double Vision is just an awesome song, they kind of screwed that one up to lead off the night for them. And then, of course, the second thing you notice Right before foreigners getting ready to come on stage, they have a chair sitting near the keyboard platform and the drum platform. And so we immediately think, well, that means Mick Jones is here. Mick Jones, of course, the founder of Foreigner, played with them the last time we saw Foreigner. But, of course, he's getting up there in age. We figured maybe we're going to get lucky again. Maybe Mick Jones will make an appearance. No, it was because Jeff Pilsen, the bass player, of course, the awesome bass player for Foreigner, formerly of Dokken, along with Kelly Hansen. Those are the two guys now. That's the core of Foreigner. Kelly Hansen and Jeff Pilsen are the stars for Loverboy. Or Loverboy, for Foreigner. See, this is what happens when you have a head full of snot. You can't get things straight. So Kelly Hansen, very, very solid front man, very personable, very likable, stretched out 13 songs through an hour and 45 minutes. Talking about how old we all are, <laughs> talking about rewinding cassette tapes with pencils, 
but he's a likable guy. He really, really is. Now, I could have done without the keyboard solo and the drum solo towards the end. There was nothing there, nothing spectacular, nothing to make this show stand out. Yes, the obligatory solos, you're pretty much going to get them in almost every rock show. And for very few instances, do those stick in your mind? Do those stand out? They definitely, they will not stick with me. They did not stand out with Foreigner. But your set list, after the botched double vision, you got Head Games, Cold as Ice, Waiting for a Girl Like You, the awesome Dirty White Boy. Still don't understand how they haven't gotten in trouble for that somehow, some way, in this cancel culture day and age we live in. Then here's the major faux pas. The acoustic set. And of course, as Kelly Hansen described it, they have done full acoustic tours before. They've put out an acoustic album. Acoustic very, very rarely works. Yes, I know, MTV Unplugged was historic and had remarkable historic performances from the likes of Nirvana, of course, Eric Clapton. But for the most part, it just doesn't work. We want to hear the songs played at full speed. There are some songs that are a little more conducive to acoustic than others. So three-song acoustic set, they play a song off one of the few Foreigner albums recorded with Kelly Hansen. You get the song When It Comes to Love. And then a nice little lost gem from early on in the Foreigner years, Girl on the Moon, and then the massive hit, Say You Will. But still, again... The acoustic stuff just doesn't really work anymore, for the most part. One song, maybe two, you're going to take 15, 20 minutes, and then follow it up with band introductions to drag things out longer. Big, big soft spot in the middle of this set. Then we come back with Feels Like the First Time, Urgent with this bizarre guitar solo that led into the full-blown keyboard solo, which led into the drum solo that I've discussed. Then finally, we get Jukebox Hero, and in the encore, I Want to Know What Love Is and Hot-Blooded. So, for the most part, nothing surprising, nothing shocking. More is always better than less. Well, most of the time, more is better than less. And I know, I sound like a hypocrite because Dave and I have been railing on bands recently for not cutting down some of their albums from 14 or 13 songs down to 10 or 11 to make it a tighter album. 
like the rival sons with dark fighter eight songs perfect in out solid rock and roll and that's kind of how i feel about the foreigner set Basically, I wanted more music. 13 songs stretched over an hour and 45 minutes should tell you something's not right here. Something's not right. A lot of talking. Again, a lot of solos, band introductions. We didn't get long, long way from home. My personal foreigner favorite. Friend of mine says, no blue morning, blue day. Completely agree with that couple of my friends said, what about that was yesterday? Nope, didn't get that either. So you get an ultra generic set list, well-performed, well-performed, but could have done with a little less of the talk talk and the solos, throw another couple songs in there. I think people would have left. Well, I would have left. A little happier but overall the lover boy foreigner show i'll give it a solid three frenzies definitely worth seeing um now i know they're playing here locally coming up in november at the casino in new buffalo michigan but ticket prices are ridiculous and that's where it's going kids we talked about the eagles recently Foreigner tickets, of course, because it's an intimate venue, quote unquote, at a casino, starting at $99 before you even tack on the fees. So thank God for lawn passes. Yeah. So let's move on to new music. Disc two. Act two, whatever you want to call it, of the Smashing Pumpkins. New release, Autumn. Now, you know, Dave and I ripped on the first one, the first disc, the first act. It was very poppy, very keyboard heavy. James Eha's guitars barely made an appearance on the first act or disc. So here we go, delving into Act 2 of Autumn. And I will tell you that it's not much better. It's marginally better. Now you have two standout tracks out of the 11 songs on Act 2 of Autumn. Of course, we've talked about Beguiled. Beguiled was the first single that Billy Corgan and company put out promoting Autumn. And Beguiled is fantastic. Beguiled is awesome. But I feel like I was cheated now. I know you put your best foot forward. You pushed your best song out as the first single or the second single. I get it. But shouldn't the rest of the album, among 33 songs, yes, I know, I haven't reviewed the third act yet. But we're 22 songs into this. You tricked us, Billy. You tricked us. 
You're obsessed now with cheesy synthesizers and keyboards. Again, your most potent weapon on guitar, James Eha, barely makes appearances again on disc two. Now, I will say this. Along with Beguiled, the song Moss is ridiculously good. I mean, awesome. Lumbering, menacing, nasty guitar work. I think Moss is the best song on Autumn Act 2. Outside of that, I will say Empires isn't bad. But again, just too much with the synthesizers. Too much with the cheesy synthesizers. This is going to end up being a three-disc set that would have been an outstanding single-disc set. I can see it coming from a mile away, even not having listened to the third act, the third CD yet. This is going to end up being one of those albums, one of those massive sets that should have been condensed and distilled down so much better as a single disc. But again, who knows? If if they'd asked him to edit it down to a single disc, he probably would have kept all the cheesy keyboard crap and dropped songs like Moss and Beguiled. So again, your Uncle Dave can catch up next week. I will give Autumn Disc 2, Act 2, two frenzies. couple new songs for you to wrap up the music segment. As always, our first segment here on the weekend edition. Third single. From the upcoming album, just a few weeks away. From the Hives. The album, The Death of Randy Fitzsimmons. The third single is Rigor Mortis Radio. I make no bones about it. I don't try to hide it. I love the Hives. They are awesome. They are fantastic. I have seen them live. They are unbelievable. They are different. They are a bunch of different cats, man. Let me tell you that. Rigor Mortis Radio, pretty much is just as catchy as the first two singles, Bogus Operandi and Countdown to Shutdown. I cannot wait for the new album. Yes, I've already got a place reserved for it among the top five albums of 2023. And if it doesn't make it, I will be sorely disappointed. And then finally, new song from Dirty Honey. Where's the new album? We need a new album. Dirty Honey's falling into this trap. Where uh, We don't have to put out a new album, but every four or five years, even as a newer band. The one thing I will give Greta Van Fleet and we're on an embargo. So don't even try to post a message or ask a question about why aren't you reviewing Starcatcher? 
or Dreamcatcher, whatever the hell the album is, because I have heard enough of Greta Van Fleet to know they are not my cup of tea anymore. They have gone so far astray. There is a Greta Van Fleet embargo in place on Sports Frenzy 2.0. But Dirty Honey, come on, guys. By now, you should have had a full-length album out. So hopefully, maybe there's one coming soon. The new song is Won't Take Me Alive. And it's solid, bare bones, dirty honey. They're not changing their style. They're not changing what they do for you, for me, for anybody. And I love it. Now, that being said, I'm not completely 100% on the Dirty Honey bandwagon yet. I'm kind of sitting on the back of the wagon with one foot dragging on the dirt as the wagon picks up speed. And I'm trying to decide whether to pull my foot up and commit or jump off before things get out of hand. And that's how I feel about Won't Take Me Alive. Doesn't make me want to jump off. Doesn't make me want to ease back into the back of the wagon and say, hey, Dirty Honey, take me on a ride. I'm still on the fence. It's good enough but it's not great. So I will give Won't Take Me Alive two and a half frenzies. Part of the problem I have, I'm not the biggest fan in the world of their lead singer. He's a little too screechy for me, a little too high-pitched and whiny. I'm sure there are people out there who will disagree, but that's just, to my ears, how he comes off. I'm really not trying to bag on them. I've seen them live. They're solid. They're really good. But just, yeah, just a little bit, not to my liking in terms of the vocals. Now, last week, your Uncle Dave and I were talking about reviewing Alice Cooper, White Line Frankenstein, which, of course, features Tom Morello. We're going to hold off on that for next week. Give your Uncle Dave something new to review while he plays catch-up with everything else. And that is going to do it for segment one. I hope your hangover is going well. I hope you have taken aspirin, ingested some nice greasy food, so you can power through and do it all again Saturday night. I'm the maestro Kevin Crane. Coming right back, movie review for you this week. Playing into one of my worst fears. And I'll discuss that a little bit more once we get into segment two. The movie Fall was out in theaters, I believe, late 2022. Possibly early 2023. We'll discuss what draws us into watching movies that deal with our worst fears. 
Why would we even subject ourselves to that? Why wouldn't we just walk away? We'll discuss after a quick promo break. I'll be right back. When the mindless zombies at the major sports networks won't leave you alone. When the forces of evil on local sports radio have you cornered. Load up the boomstick known as Sports Frenzy 2.0. Available on Spotify, Anchor, Google, Radio, Public, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Apple, Overcast, and CastBox. Kevin Dave will drive the dull and boring voices in your head away and offer you the sports salvation you need. New episodes drop every Thursday. And don't forget the weekend edition every Saturday where the maestro and the conquistador might just review your favorite horror flick. Sports Frenzy 2.0. It's groovy. All right, everybody, welcome back. Segment two of the weekend edition, Sports Frenzy 2.0, taping here July the 27th, 2023. This will hit, as always, Saturday morning, in this case, July the 29th. I'm the maestro Kevin Crane. Some kind of illness, sickness, get up, get down with the sickness. Yes, because I hate Disturbed. So why wouldn't I just keep quoting them throughout this entire episode? Just to torture myself. Speaking of which, kind of a nice segue into... My movie review of the week. The movie is Fall. Now, this was a small movie. Limited release in theaters. I don't even know if it's on streaming right now, to be honest with you. Um, I happened to get a great deal on Prime Day. On Amazon, I got the DVD for three bucks. So, I wanted to see it. A lot less than I would have paid to see it in a movie theater. I will try to give you the bare bones plot details, which should suffice. A couple of young women dealing with a tragedy. They're daredevils. They're rock climbers. They seek out the thrills. So early on again, they're dealing with a tragedy, so... They go their separate ways for approximately a year, come back together. One is trying to become a, of course, social media superstar and influencer. The other one dealing with the tragedy in a much different, obviously more depressed way. Let's put it that way. So they get back together and decide, let's get back to our old ways of doing things. Let's get back to doing something crazy and dangerous. So these two young women go out to the desert and they have found a massive, I believe it's a TV antenna, old, old TV antenna, but the one young woman claims it is the third highest structure in the country. 
So, of course, they decide, let's go to the top. Let's play it for thrills and chills like we did back when we weren't dealing with tragedy and sorrow. And, of course, most of the way up the tower, there is a interior ladder sheltered by some grid work. And then, of course, the last couple hundred feet is all exposed. Still a ladder, but no protection from the wind, the rain, the sun, the buzzards, whatever it might be. And there's a very small platform on the very top of the tower. And so, of course, their goal is to get to that platform because outside of a a light that extends up a little bit higher, there's nothing else. And of course, you guys know what's coming. They get up there, they have their moment. And once they decide to start coming down, things go wrong. And they are stuck at the top of this massive TV antenna. Of course, conveniently, somehow, because they're way, way up high, you would think there would be great cell phone coverage, but of course there's not. Very spotty. So then we have to go through all the the ideas. How can we survive? What can we do to survive? How can we get a message out to get somebody to come and help us? It's a very hard movie for me to review. And I'll tell you why. Because, number one, I have an insane fear of heights. I do not like getting on airplanes. I can't stand getting on ladders. So, early on, as they're climbing up into the the heart of this, this tower, as they keep going up step by step by step, I could literally feel my groin tightening, not in a good way. So I guess that's a credit to the director for making us feel, those of us with a fear of heights feel like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't deal with this. Now see, this leads me into this quick aside, this quick discussion of why are we drawn to watching things that make us uncomfortable? Why are we drawn to watching horror movies where people get slashed up, burned up, chopped up? See, for me personally, snakes are a big thing that I I am scared to death of. But if there is, I want to see snakes on a plane. There's an old classic movie called Venom. An old classic movie called Frogs we're drawn to confronting our fears. Now, I don't know if it's the healthy way, the best way to confront our fears, but I think that's what we're trying to do. Because we're not really paying the price. We're not paying the cost. We're not up there with those women on the top of this massive tower. We're not the ones getting attacked by snakes on a plane. 
Worn out the ones being hunted by Jigsaw or Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees or whoever. Just something to think about, kids. Do a little self-analysis. Why are you drawn to movies that feature your deepest, darkest fears? So getting back to fall, I can't really tell you anymore without spoiling things for you. A couple plot twists, marginally interesting plot twists. Um, do they both survive? Does one survive? Does neither survive? You'll have to watch it if you want to find out. I will give fall my barest minimum of recommendations. I will give it a two and a half frenzies. Again, it's pretty well done. It's not outstanding. Again, you're you're really limited in what you can do given the scenario that you're building the plot around. And again, they do try to throw a couple things in there. One thing, again, I don't want to spoil. I hate spoilers, so I'm sorry if I'm sounding vague. But one of these plot twists that happens later on in the movie is very manufactured and just seems very silly. It just seems like something they put in there to drive the drama and the plot. The other plot twist, again... Not the first time I've seen it, but it works fairly well in this particular setting. And of course, the two women involved have to show off their cleavage because, of course, they're up there in the hot sun, so they're stripping off their clothes. Lots of cleavage. Okay, I'm not saying anything bad about cleavage. I'm just telling you, I'm forewarning you. Whether you like it or not, lots of cleavage. Oh, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan of The Walking Dead and Watchmen happens to be the father of one of the young women stuck up on the tower. So, That'll wrap up my review of Fall. Again, I'll give it two and a half frenzies, the barest of recommendations. It's about an hour and 45 minutes, so you're not wasting a ton of time on it. It's competent. It's fairly well done. It's not a waste of your time, and that's about the best I can say about it. And in this day and age, that's pretty good. Because, of course, we've got the strike or the strikes going on. The Screen Actors Guild, the Writers Guild. Man, you want more? We want protections from Skynet and AI. Man, man, man. I'm not going into more detail on this. I'm not. I'm fine with it. Literally, let me watch some old movies. Let me play catch up for a couple years. I'll start cutting out the streaming services because they won't have any content. 
probably by the beginning of 2020, 2024, they'll run out of stuff. We're already seeing the ripple effect. We've talked about a lot of the delays, a lot of the cancellations. I'm fine with it. I'll read a book. I'll watch old movies. I'll watch movies I haven't watched before. I got plenty of those. I'll play catch up. I'm just tired of the whining and the moaning and the bitching and the pissing and the crying. Studios will put on reality TV and people will eat it up. And reality TV does not fall under the purview of SAG or WAG. Is it WAG? The Writers Guild? I think it's WAG, but I could be wrong. You know him, you hate him. There's no denying he is not a good person. But I've told you guys in the past, I can separate the man or the woman from their deeds. Whether it's a performer on stage playing rock and roll, or a performer on stage acting, or a performer in a movie or a TV show, I can separate Great actor, dirtbag in real life. I don't tie the two together. I know some of you do, and I, I don't have a problem with that. That's your choice. That's supposed to be what this world is about, choice. I choose to watch and separate. Watch the great actors, watch the great actresses separate their personal lives. And, of course, we're talking about one Kevin Spacey, who was found not guilty on nine sex crimes charges in London. Again, do I think this all of a sudden puts a halo hovering over Kevin Spacey's head? Hell no. If you put yourself in a position where you can be accused of this kind of stuff. One time, maybe I, I will say somebody's trying to make a money grab. Maybe even two times. But multiple, multiple situations with multiple people. You want to use the word victim? That's fine. Multiple victims. You're putting yourself constantly in these positions so that tells me that you're doing something wrong. A person doesn't go to a house of ill repute over and over again just to read the magazines in the waiting area, if you catch my drift. So for now, Kevin Spacey exonerated overseas. Will Hollywood embrace him again? Or will all the political factions over here make it impossible for him to return to Hollywood? 
we shall see. Interesting rumor. Revolving around Marvel and Sony. Of course, Sony brilliant. Columbia brilliant in how they kept the rights to the Spider-Man universe. Whereas, of course, Fox was bought out by the Mouse House, basically giving up or giving back the rights to the X-Men, to the Fantastic Four. But Sony was smart. Sony held out. Sony has kept the rights to the Spider-Man universe. And of course, we know we've got Craven the Hunter coming up later this year. We've got Madam Web coming up soon. Now, when I say Spider-Man 4 rumors, what do you think? What are you thinking about? No, no, not Tom Holland. Rumors are starting to circulate that after his turn directing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Sam Raimi might be interested in bringing back Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. And yes, that would be Spider-Man 4, if you're keeping track at home, kids. Thomas Hayden Church, who of course played Sandman in that Sam Raimi series, has been campaigning to make a cameo if and when it gets off the ground and running. I would be interested. Because if you can have two parallel Batman universes going, You've got the Robert Pattinson, Matt Reeves universe, which, of course, James Gunn has come out and said, no, we're not messing with that. But, of course, James Gunn, at the same time, is going to put out the Brave and the Bold as he relaunches the DC movie universe. So there are going to be two parallel Batman timelines. So why can't you do it with Spider-Man? In fact, you pretty much already said you could and you did. Hell, bring back Andrew Garfield. Have three of them going at the same time. Very intriguing to hear that we might get a Sam Raimi-directed Spider-Man 4 but not with Tom Holland, but with Tobey Maguire. Then finally here to wrap up segment two, movies, movies, movies. Oh, wait, I forgot something. Your Uncle Dave's not here. How could I forget? This is the time, segment two, each and every weekend, where we remind you that you have options on where you can listen to Sports Frenzy 2.0, 
You can hear us on Spotify, Google, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Apple, Overcast, CastBox, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, and for one more month, Stitcher. And of course, don't forget to check out the Facebook page, especially if you like our sports edition, which hits on those same platforms every Thursday morning. Final little movie news tidbit to shut down things here in segment two. Of course, we unfortunately had to talk about the disturbing trend here recently where people, despite the fact that everybody thought it'd be easier, let's sell tickets to assigned seats for movies. Just like with concerts, let's sell assigned seats. Well, now you've got thugs and pissants and ruffians and scumbags deciding they're going to sit where they want to damn well sit. And if the person who actually paid for the ticket for that seat challenges them, they're going to beat them up or they're going to shoot them. God, what a great world we live in. Well, tied into that, AMC, something that Dave and I railed on here recently, has decided to drop their controversial variable seat pricing policy. They tried it out in three locations, must not, obviously, must not have been happy with the results, where, of course, if you sat closer to the screen, daring yourself to have a neck injury as you craned your head up. Oh, but you saved a couple bucks. Then, of course, everything in the center was going to be more expensive. Nah, that didn't work out. Shocking, right? Shocking, kids. I do believe the weekend edition, your Uncle Dave and I told you this was a bad Bad idea. And look what happened. Boom! Blows up in AMC's face. Now, of course, what are we going to do about enforcing the assigned seating policy? That is going to be a tricky, tricky situation for these movie theater companies like AMC, like Cinemark, considering the fact that most of their employees are young, high schoolers, college-age kids. We've seen this where you can't stop a shoplifter anymore or you're going to lose your job. So what are you going to do if somebody comes to you and says, hey, some punk-ass guy with tattoos on his face is sitting in my seat that I paid for. What are you going to do about it? What are they going to do about it, is the question. I just see this getting worse and worse and worse. Because, like society, everything is getting worse and worse and worse. Except, of course, for the occasional movie, album, 
and TV show, which we will talk about here each and every Saturday morning on the weekend edition. I'm the maestro Kevin Crane. Last promo break. We'll come back with TV and streaming. Moments of silence. And, of course, a few dumbasses in the world of pop culture and entertainment. So, give me another 25 minutes of your time, and then you can start making your plans to do it all over again on Saturday night. Get drunk, get shot down by that hot girl at the corner of the bar, and then wake up Sunday morning with, yes, yet another headache. We'll be right back, kids. Hello, I'm James Cameron, prestigious film director. And since it takes me over a decade to make a movie, I've got plenty of time between takes to listen to my favorite podcast, Sports Frenzy 2.0, on Spotify, Google, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Apple, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, Amazon, and audible. Hey, wait, I'm having an epiphany. I have a new idea. Summer of 2035. Blue robots from the future on a doomed ocean liner. Oh, brilliant. Where's Arnold? Get me Schwarzenegger. What about DiCaprio? Oh, what about Edward Furlong? We know he's not doing anything. <laughs> All right, everybody, third and final segment here, weekend edition of Sports Frenzy 2.0, taping here July the 27th, 2023, hitting, as always, on Saturday morning, in this case, July the 29th. It's time for TV and streaming. My recap of eight episodes, season 16 of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Now, I can't get your Uncle Dave to watch this show. That's fine. That's what makes this show unique and different. We do have our differences and our similarities, which we'll get to in a minute here. But I've always told him that Sonny is hit and miss. It seems like it's always great episode, bad episode, great episode, bad episode. Maybe a little bit of variation there. I have watched, I, I cannot say I have watched all 16 seasons, but I would say I have watched well over half of all the episodes of Sunny. And they must enjoy doing what they're doing because they keep doing it with the same cast year after year after year. Now, eight episodes is not much of a commitment, but I will say this year at least, with season 16, pretty solid run of eight episodes. There were a couple clunkers in there. The final episode wrapping up season 16 about Dennis taking a mental health day wasn't so much funny as it was insightful about the world we live in. The irony of taking a quote-unquote mental health day when if you walk outside the door 
and try to go somewhere, you're going to be met with stupid requests and a lack of customer service, cashless society, pay with your card, but only on the app. So you have to download the app. If you want to see the menu, make sure you scan the QR code. You guys know what I'm talking about. So the last episode here, season 16, was pretty pretty brilliant, but not funny. I will give season 16 of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia a solid three frenzies. Just wonder how long are they going to keep going? You just wonder how long can they keep this up? Now, as I talk about Dave doesn't watch that show, we do have a bunch of shows that we do watch that we enjoy that we have in common. And a lot of them have just started up. I'm telling you, summer is now becoming the go-to season for TV and streaming shows. Tacoma FD just started season four, episode one. And in, in its own way, it's predictable. Of course, at the end of season three, they burned down their firehouse. Scattered into various other endeavors. Most of them end up going to be the, the fire and safety patrol at a pirate-themed theme park. But of course, you know what's going to happen. Again, in its way, it's predictable, but it's still lovable. They end up rebuilding the firehouse, and because of a shortage of personnel, they are all asked to come back, reunite, and once again run their firehouse. Of course, this is from the guys who have given us Beer Fest and the Slammin' Salmon and Super Troopers 1 and 2, Broken Lizard, of course. Very, very funny comedy troupe. Hell of a lot funnier than anything you're getting on SNL over the last 10 years. So looking forward to seeing where they're going to go with Tacoma FD here in season four. Much anticipated, the return of Raylan Givens, justified city primeval, almost through the first two episodes. Timothy Oliphant was born to play this role. Now, of course, it's a minor variation on the role he played in Deadwood. But still, utterly fantastic. Now, this particular series is based on an Elmore Leonard book, which, of course, Elmore Leonard came up with the character of Raylan Givens and wrote a handful of books with that character which is where they got justified from. But interesting that City Primeval is not a Raylan Givens book. It is an Elmore Leonard book, but has a different protagonist. And so what these producers have done at FX, they have taken this story 
inserted Raylan Givens in the mean streets of Detroit, giving him a fantastic nemesis played by Boyd Holbrook. Now, is it perfect? No. So far, I've found a couple things I really don't like about it. I don't find the female characters particularly strong. I find them more irritating than anything else. But, again, only two episodes in, I'm sure things will get better. Then finally, What We Do in the Shadows is back, of course, after a two-episode premiere. Last week, we got episode three of season five revolving around a gay pride parade. But I'm telling you, this had to be one of the funniest episodes of their entire run. Because there's other stuff going on outside the Gay Pride Parade. Nandor, outer space. Guillermo still trying to deal with slowly, slowly, slowly turning into a vampire. Nadja having doll issues, bringing Colin Robinson in in a very bizarre, perverted way. (laughs) To help solve her Dolly's problems. It's just a season five, episode three. Check it out. If you have Hulu, get on Hulu. Hopefully you've got it DVR'd. If you have cable on FX, this is an all-time classic, what we do in the shadows. couple other notes in TV and streaming. Finally, 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 we have a specific premiere date for The Continental. Of course, the spinoff from the fantastic John Wick movies, The Continental three-episode miniseries will kick off September the 22nd exclusively on Peacock. Good news for fans of The Walking Dead and all the 45 spinoffs that are out there. The two spinoffs involving major characters from the original series have already been renewed. Uh, I believe Dead City is the one with Negan, which hasn't quite wrapped up its first season yet. That's been renewed already for season two, and The Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon, starring, of course, Norman Reedus, hasn't even premiered yet, and it's already been renewed for a second season. Then finally, we know that in 2024 now, we'll see how the writers, actors, janitorial staff strikes affect this debut, since it's out in the distance a little bit, but in 2024, we get The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live, which of course is the spinoff involving the return 
of Rick Grimes and Michonne. All right, let's move on to moments of silence. Couple of big, big, big losses in the world of music this past week. Of course, one, not surprising because of his age, but Tony Bennett. The golden pipes of Tony Bennett have finally been silenced. The man, the people behind the man knew how to carry on his career, carry through his career, through multiple musical genre changes, and he just stayed the course, gained the respect of his peers and the people that came after the younger generation, the older generation, all respected him. The great Tony Bennett passes away. And then, of course, a little more shocking, but not given the history of issues and mental health problems. I'm not going to say it's 100% out of the blue, but Sinead O'Connor in her mid-50s passes away. Um, not a final cause of death released, but they have said that there's nothing suspicious about her passing. But again, in her mid-50s, Sinead O'Connor You know, the, the whole thing with Saturday Night Live and her tearing up the picture of the Pope and making the grandiose statement. That's fine. That's rock and roll. I've heard celebrities, people say that we ignored her. We ignored her problems. We didn't, as a society, step up and help her. Where is her family? Where are her friends? These same people that are saying the rest of us didn't step up, where were they, Morrissey? Be very careful throwing your stones at glass houses. And then finally, I'm not a big fan of morning radio morning talk radio specifically. If I find myself without a CD, yes, I still have a CD player in my car and I have to turn on the radio, God forbid, especially in the morning. All the rock and roll stations have to have pre-programmed, pre-taped, syndicated. <laughs> that was funny what you said, Bob. <laughs> That was funny what you said, Tom. <laughs> God, the most insipid, stupid crap on the face of the earth is morning talk radio. With the canned laughter, 
everybody acting like they're busting a gut over the most inane, stupid, silly jokes. So for those of you who like the Bob and Tom show, I guess we should pass along condolences. As Ron Sexton has died, he played Donnie Baker on the Bob and Tom show. Forgive me if I don't shed a tear. I will pass along my thoughts and prayers to the family and the friends. But, sorry, in the end, in the entertainment world, not a big loss. Sorry. I'm kind of shifting gears here as we get closer and closer to the Red Foreman dumbasses of the week. But wait, I'm not done yet with moments of silence because, and I wish your Uncle Dave was here. I want to propose a new segment, a sub-segment of the Weekend Edition and Sports Frenzies Moments of Silence. I was tempted to bring this up a couple months ago when the Unabomber died. And we qualified it when he died. We basically said we're reporting his death. No thoughts, no prayers, no love. And so I started thinking about it. I started pondering, well, how do we handle a situation like that where we feel obligated to report it, to acknowledge it, but we don't want to pass along any kind of positive vibes because the person in question doesn't deserve it. So what do we do? Well, I've had another one pop up this past week. And I think I I, I want to call this, this is not official yet. This is a collaborative effort, so I will ask your Uncle Dave what he thinks. But when, when we have a situation like this where it's somebody we just find reprehensible and disgusting who passes, but we have to bring it up. We have to acknowledge it. What do we call it? And I think it should be called Sports Frenzy's Burn in Hell Moment of the Week. Feel free to leave a comment. Let me know what you think. For the disgusting, sick people of the world, the entertainment world, when they pass away, instead of being mournful, thoughts and prayers, we say, burn in hell. Who, you might ask, has inspired this kind of vitriol in the maestro? I'll tell you who. Burn in hell, Bill Getty. Who, you might ask, is Bill Getty? Bill Getty along with Barbara Walters, created The View. The single most poisonous, disgusting piece of crap on the airwaves today. 
we can't give Bill Getty a seat on the sports frenzy plane of doom because now he's dead. So, burn in hell for giving us the view, Bill Getty. Too much? You think too much? I don't. All right. Four. Dumbasses of the week to discuss as we wrap up the weekend edition here on Sports Frenzy 2.0. Going to be kind of all over the map here. Now, one of these we just discussed in the movie segment. We kind of alluded to it. I'm going to bring it back in one last time as an overall umbrella type of dumbass of the week. The two incidents involving violence over reserved movie seats here that have happened recently in Florida and New Mexico. Again, yes, I know I brought these up earlier with relation to AMC's variable seat pricing and how they dropped it as that was a miserable failure. But we have got to emphasize this. We have got to say, this is garbage. Let's start acting like a civilization. And all you face-tattooed, gun-toting asswipes out there who think you can sit where you want because who's going to challenge you? I'll tell you what, I will. And if you pull a gun on me, you better be careful. But the fact is, they're shooting people, they're beating up old people who buy the tickets fair and square, have the right to sit in the seat that they purchased. I want these thugs prosecuted to the fullest fullest extent of the law. And of course, these ridiculous, wimpy, pussy-ass prosecutors and judges won't do the right thing. Won't fight the good fight. They'll do the whole, what, no bail thing now is a big deal. Commit a crime, you can walk. You get a court date and you walk. How the hell are we going to discourage crime if we don't take a stand and we don't start fighting? Because the evil people, the scumbags, the selfish of the world will take advantage. And they are taking advantage more often and more often and more often. And until we stand up and do something about it, we're looking at chaos. We're looking at anarchy. And if we don't fight back against scumbags like this in New Mexico and Florida, We're just a bunch of dumbasses. My favorite comic book character of all time is the Punisher. Now, see, the Punisher, love to see one of these face-tattooed asswipes take his seat in a movie theater. We all know the Punisher's not going to the movie theater, but... It's not Frank Castle anymore. 
because, of course, Marvel, now owned by Disney, has decided at least temporarily, I don't know if this is going to last, I've got to believe there's going to be backlash, Frank Castle is missing. So now there is a new Punisher, Joe Garrison, ex-Shield operative. My question is going to be, okay, so is he gay? Is he a pacifist? Because you know somehow, some way, you're going to try to fit one of those political agendas in there to satisfy your quote-unquote new consumer base, who you think want this. Nobody wanted Frank Castle to go away. There is a hardcore, major fan base out there who loves the Punisher. That's why we want to see the Punisher return in the upcoming Daredevil Disney Plus series. John Bernthal, marvelous job as Frank Castle. And now the comic books. Are they writing out Frank Castle? Is Joe Garrison a new, gentler, kindler Punisher? Kinder Punisher? Easy for you to say. Again, head full of snot. Kinder, gentler Punisher. I hope not. This is just disappointing to me. This is a big-time, dumbass move from Marvel. Oh, the genius, James Cameron. Of course, we, we heard him having to to have a press conference to tell everybody, I'm not going to do a movie about the the little sub that went down and imploded as it tried to look at the wreckage of the Titanic. Oh, Mr. Cameron, but what's your next project going to be? Well, I think I'm going to pretty much rip off Christopher Nolan because he's so much more talented than me. And I'm basically a hack who can only do movies about stupid computer-generated blue people. So since he's had such success now with Oppenheimer, I'm going to do a movie called Last Train from Hiroshima about the struggles of the people who lived in Hiroshima before and after the atomic bomb went off. Talk about a bandwagon jumper and a copycat. I have never had that much respect for James Cameron as a filmmaker. Was the first Terminator good? Of course it was. Was Titanic good? (laughs) One good scene over three hours when the ship split in half. Amazing special effects. And you know, just like with Greta Van Fleet, there is an embargo on here at Sports Frenzy when it comes to Avatar. I cringe when I see those ads. Those stupid, computer-generated, dopey-looking blue characters. Oh, but everybody loves Avatar. 
You can go to hell. I am not watching any Avatar movie. Ever. Ever. I could think of a dozen directors off the top of my head who are better than James Cameron. And if he gave me more time, I'll come up with about 30 or 40 more. He's overrated. And now he is basically going to ride the coattails of Christopher Nolan's success with Oppenheimer. Well, if he can do a movie about the atomic bomb, so can I. And I'll do it better. It'll only take me 15 years to make it. Seriously. You think you're going to see this movie ever? And if you do, do you think you're going to be alive? Because it's not coming out till 2040, probably. James Cameron, you're a dumbass. Nobody's got the balls in Hollywood to tell you, but you're a dumbass. Then finally, this hurts. This hurts. But we have to be fair. Every once in a while, our heroes, the people we love, the people we admire, even if it's a slight misstep, a slight dumbass move, we all make dumbass moves now and then. And you guys know we love, love, love Kevin Smith on this show. Seen all of his movies. I think the man's brilliant. I've seen him live stand up with Jason Mews. I don't like this little current snarky version of Kevin Smith when it comes to the Screen Actors Guild and the writer's strike, though. Now, you figure he's going to side just like everybody else. We're fighting the man. We're fighting the power. Yeah, shut up. But Kevin Smith probably took it a little too far. Again, we all know he's trying to be snarky and cool. He usually is. Again, love the guy. But at Comic-Con, one of the few people who actually showed up, the few names that showed up at Comic-Con, again, because of all the strikes... says he hopes the strikers crush overlords like Netflix. That is a direct quote. Quote, crush overlords like Netflix, unquote. Well, considering the fact that Kevin Smith was at Comic-Con to promote his latest He-Man animated show, which happens to be backed by Netflix... This goes beyond being clever and snarky, and this goes into dumbass territory. Do not bite the hand that feeds you. I'm sure Netflix did not appreciate that comment. And if I worked for Netflix, I was one of the higher-ups. I would say, maybe we don't do business with Kevin Smith anymore and let him live out his little adolescent He-Man fantasies at our expense. Again, love Kevin Smith but he's a dumbass this week. We'll check you out next week. Uncle Dave will return. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great weekend. See ya.